Welcome back to the Soul Savvyness Podcast. I'm your host, Q Lane Green. Topping off Black Music Month. Last week for Black Music Month. Been trying to celebrate as much as I can. If you didn't know, a fantastic music music industry veteran, uh, Miss Naima Cochran, created a music sermon which spawned the Black Music Month challenge she's done for 30 days. If you haven't been participating in it, it's been a lot of great fun on all the social media sites, Instagram and Twitter, if you've participated in them. But I had fun participating in it. Um, it it's just a really good time. If you haven't checked it out, I guess you still have a, a couple more days. We've got till Saturday, till July if you want to participate in the Black Music Month Challenge. But shout out to Miss Naima Cochran for creating something fun for all of us in, to uh, participate in for Black Music Month Challenge. I know she's done it previous years, but yeah, this one, it's always, it's always a good time when these um, music conversations pop up on music challenges because we get to reminisce and live in nostalgia. So shout outs to Miss Naima Cochran for that. Yeah, man, just celebrating Black Music Month. You know, I know last week um, I started delving into different uh, eras of music, talking about the history of it, the things that Black artists had to go through in the early days, pre-Jim Crow era, specifically to, to where we have the privileges we have now as black artists and musicians. It's like the little things that we overlook and I always want to give reverence to those that had to fight their way for us to, to get what we, what we have now as uh, musicians. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's important to highlight that when we talk about black music. So shout outs to all, all those fantastic legends. And we can we can list off a lot of them, but it I I I know I'm gonna forget some names, but you know we talked about black labels, we talked about uh, Motown, we talked about Uptown, we talked about uh, all the great Philly International. The list goes on and on. The Face Records. I don't think I delved into it that deep because we didn't get that deep in the late '80s, '90s yet. Because I said I was gonna talk about. Uh, that part of black music uh we stopped i think we stopped going in the 80s but yeah people always i think and i get why because i lived through the 90s always mention the greatest it's always a debate on the internet what was the greatest era of music everybody always says or the young ones always say the 90s a lot of them <laughs> it's funny because the younger the younger ones, they they love the 90s more than us that lived in the 90s. <laughs> if you were a kid in the 90s or an adult in the 90s, it's like they're starting to take musical trends. And it, it shows in the music, you know, they're, they're constantly sampling artists from the 90s. I'm kind of um, weary of those artists that are sampling the 90s. Like, I get they're reaching back to that era of music, but I would want them to you know if i would nitpick anything for them to go a little bit back further like the 80s and 70s not the actual records that were sampled because the one thing about 90s 
and I'm not even going that deep into it just yet, but 90s, especially if you're sampling 90s hip-hop, you got to be careful for those artists. They got to be careful with that because a lot of times, you know, hip-hop really, the, the, the whole duration of hip-hop is just sampled music, just music that we that they loved growing up in the 70s and 80s. Those records are sampled, and they recreated that, and I get the new artists now giving reverence to that era, but I want the only reason why I want them to go back further, just from a, mu a business standpoint, you know, you don't want to be sharing a hundred percent of your royalty with <laughs> with Chic because you didn't uh, research uh, that this record came, even though this record came out '96. You know, they sampled Chic, so I would just that's just my thing. You know, I love. People are loving the 90s and, and everything that comes with that. But it's, it's a lot of stuff that, you know, you can kind of overlook if you don't really track the history of, uh, if you don't track the history of uh, where the music comes from. So that's my only nitpick. I, I guess I'll talk, I was going to talk about the BET Awards. I guess I could wait till after. No, we're going to do it now because it's still on my head. Uh, I, we get to the Black Music Month discussion. I'll talk more about the 80s and 90s and 2000s. I guess I got to add in 2010s. That's so weird referencing because when I think of, when I say 2000s, I'm, I'm, I'm counting 2010s too. But someone had reminded me that those are like two separate eras and it's so weird like calling 2010s, not referring to that as the 2000s, because I always try to generalize that time, but you really got to define it because it is different. But I'm going to get to that 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s, try to talk about music, black music then, but just a little bit of savvy topics that we're talking about. I should call some of these raggedy topics like... Uh, no, dis no disrespect to some of these artists, but just the conversation around it should be raggedy is the BET Awards, the 2023, 23rd annual BET Awards happened this past Sunday. Yeah, it was, um, I honestly didn't even see promotion for it like that. And I think it had everything to do with, um, them not having a host and I think it was because of the writers it, of course it was for the Writers Guild of, of America the WGA uh, the the whole uh, writers um, you know the writers uh, crisis that's happening uh, if y'all don't know uh, most of the writers uh, in Hollywood they are on strike and so that goes apart since, you know, Paramount, you know, it's all those, you know, every studio, you know, in Hollywood, Warner Brothers, all that stuff has everything to do with, you know, writing, TV shows, award shows, all those are paid through the Writers Guild. So, of course, the BT Awards didn't have a host and they didn't have a host because you need a writer, writers to write the jokes for the host. So they didn't have one this year um honestly i didn't watch it all the way through i think i just watched it on 
YouTube mostly, I saw the clips online and I seen that they, the most integral part of what they were trying to accomplish was uh, making sure that the hip, that the 50, cause it's been 50 years of uh, hip hop. Uh, I think their main focus was to make sure that they honored as many hip hop legends uh, in every region. And so I think that was the most integral part of the show, which I got that and I respected that cause they, and they did a really great job of really highlighting different eras of hip hop. The, the, you know, had the eighties, you know, had call me D nice, DJ D nice. You know, a lot of people don't know that he was, you know, start out rapper, put you down production, man. You got to do your history. They call me D nice. You know, Big Daddy Kane, MC Light. They represent New York and uh, 80s hip hop. And then they had the New York hip hop with uh, Eric Sermon, uh, Keith Murray, and Redman. That was a great segment. I watched that. And they, you know, did, gave respect to uh, the reggae classics, the dance hall music. Uh, I think it was uh, Mad Lion performed, uh, Patra. Who else was there? And they did a, a West Coast one with Yo-Yo. Uh, Warren G came out first, I think. Warren G. And they had a, a memoriam of uh, Nate Dogg in the background, a picture, a photo uh, of uh, Nate Dogg in the background while Warren G. was performing. And then Yo-Yo came out, performed, Can't Play With My Yo-Yo. And I think it was uh, that, what's that rapper name? Tiger. hopefully I said his name right. Tiger Rack City. He did, they represent the West Coast. I don't know who else performed. That was just the, the YouTube clip I seen on BET's page. And then they had more performances. Um, I think they did a South segment. They did, uh, I didn't, I wish I need to look that up and see the rest of them. I haven't seen all the performances. I, I think that's the only one I'm missing is the, the Jeezy. I think the South region, it was Jeezy, uh, T.I. and Master P. I think they were in the South segment. I need to watch that one. It looked like it was good because I seen some of the clips online. That one looked dope. All great artists. And then another South one, Miami specifically, <laughs> Trina and Trick Daddy came out and performed that. Oh my God. Classic within itself. And then after that, um, who was it? Uncle Luke. Can't forget about Uncle Luke. Discard. Oh my God. That's that's Miami classics right there, but yeah, looked like it was fun. But I also noticed I, I was I wonder if the venues are, were smaller because because in the um, from the still shots and how they were recording the show, it looked like it was a smaller venue. It didn't look like the Staples Center. I have to I have to research that and see if it's the same venue because it looked so small in there. You know, I don't know if that had anything to do with the writer's strike either, but that venue looked so small with those people in it. And it just looked, I ain't gonna hold you. It didn't look at, and a lot of people were criticizing online and I don't want to be one of those people <laughs> that sound like, like, oh, this is a travesty to black. And that's a whole conversation within itself. Like people don't like who's being represented in music right now and think it's a degradation of, of, 
black society. Y'all do know that there's black people that exist in that realm of blackness, of what y'all consider ghetto and just unclass. It's a lot of people that like that represent that. So I I don't fully agree with putting down these artists just because you know it's they probably their first time at an award show you know and they're listening to music of their musical peers would you rather them be beef i would write i would like the latter i know it's a kind of an in the spectrum perspective kind of but i would rather them having a good time than them beefing and people fighting in the audience which they said somebody threw a phone at somebody i ain't gonna get into the specifics of that but I would rather them all having a good time, these young artists, than all of them fighting like it's the Source Awards type of situation. Now, what, what, in, in that sense, I would go with that. And it's like, listen, I ain't here to yuck nobody's yum, okay? Let these young artists do what they do. I'm not, no, I'm not trying to be on no super black hotep-ism type shit of, how black trying to control how black folks act and look they act the way they act they they see things the way they see it these young artists you know it ain't my place to to try to say oh this that because a lot of y'all would kill to be feet uh, seat fillers at bt awards i know I, I think i was a seat filler one time no i wasn't a seat filler i think i just got invited i think it was uh it was a artist they were performing, I think, on the the pre-state, the pre-awards performance, and I ended up there for that. But I had pretty decent seat. I forgot what year it was. I want to say it was 2010 or 2011. I forgot what year that was, but it was one of those years I went to the BT Awards, and it's actually a fun show. I haven't been. I think I've been. Uh, the start of Soul Savvyness, like 2014, 2015, I think I got invited, but I never went. It, it just didn't seem like, I mean, it didn't seem like it would be that fun to to go to it or whatever, because it's kind of boring, you know, going to those award shows, because most of the time, uh, after they perform for like two, three minutes, they're doing standbys and commercials and trying to get people out the aisle so they can film get ready to, to film hosts because sometimes they go through the audience and they're trying to clear out the way while and trying to get people in their seats and keeping them from walking around so all that shit can be boring and most of the time is like when you like you go backstage you know they maybe you know have drinks available and stuff like that so that those experiences at award shows can be fun but a lot of y'all have so much to say when it comes to decorum and respect and it's like get out of here it's like y'all ain't never been this critical of black people doing certain things at award shows like just stop it because y'all never and i and people was like oh that's petty to say you'll never get invited i mean because you won't it's just you can't be this critical of places that you have never been and just because you would act a certain kind of way, well, maybe that that's just who they are and they feel free to, to you know, it is what it is. If I'm sure anybody at the, that represents the BET Awards had a problem, then they will have no trouble with having security escort them out of the BET Awards. But nothing they did deem as as 
bad to where they would get escorted out. That would be my only critique that the place looks small because it because BT never looked that small before. That's what makes me think that um, that maybe they they changed the venue or something because it's never looked that small before to me. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I, it's it's just a lot of people with trying to politic how black people act. And they supposed to act a certain kind of way. I did see a viral clip. Who was it? It was some artist. I don't want to mess the name up. Like, I know I'm I'm getting up. That's this ain't my age demographic because I don't even know this. I, I think it's Red Sexy Red. I think that may be the name because I remember seeing the name attached to the the caption. I think it's Sexy Red. Hopefully, I said the name right. No disrespect to that artist, but. Apparently they, I guess during the commercial break, they were playing her songs during the the breaks. And I don't know the name of the song. I know that much. I know the artist. I got the artist right. Give me credit. Give me bonus points for that. But Sexy Red has a song. This isn't me making nothing up. This is what the one of the lyrics said. I think because I've seen people talk about this on the internet. They're saying that she's the one that sings. <laughs> it sounds crazy saying out loud. But she says, uh, my booty hell brown and my pussy pink or something. I have no idea what that means. Uh, I mean, what that has to do with the song. I guess she just, I think it's just something that's stated, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't, I, yeah. But either way, they were singing that song, I guess, at the BET Awards during the break. She wasn't performing it on stage. She was in the audience and they were playing it and she was kind of performing it. And I seen a little bit of that clip. And then they cut to and somebody showed Bobby Jones. <laughs> I mean, of course, if you're playing that song with Mr. Bobby Jones, the legendary gospel, the, the gospel, legendary gospel series on BT, like of course, and he's always at those award shows. So I'm sure this isn't the worst that he's seen over the years. I don't know why he was there in particular, because I don't even think they had a gospel segment. If I remember, I think the only thing that was non hip hop related was um, the Miss Tina Turner tribute. But yeah, he's always gone to these award shows and people were like oh that's probably gonna be his last one no, i doubt it because <laughs> he supports he supports to be at two awards uh i just think yeah that's a little bit awkward yeah um i ain't gonna say that's not awkward saying that in front of mr bobby jones but quit giving these kids a hard time and let them have fun it's like oh I hate, uh, you know, and that's the thing, because I don't listen to, just because I don't listen to that music doesn't mean that gives me full right to disrespect what they're doing. And you can say, you can criticize it and say, this isn't a upper echelon of hip hop, but it's some people where that speaks to. It's all subjective. And I know that's a cop out to say it, but listen. It is what it is. If, if, if it wasn't certain sections of America that listened to that music, it, maybe you should just drown out those artists and support the artists that are making the big noises like 
because I know Scarlett performed on Buster Rhymes set. Uh, that's another thing. He received the Lifetime Achievement Award, and he shared his moment, which I thought was dope, with two female artists that are popping right now. I think her name is Koi Lorray. I think she has that player song. Yeah. And uh, Scarlett came out first, though. The one that this is New York. Now, that I like that, because when I first heard I just heard that song some weeks ago. Um, when she premiered, I think she premiered it back in May, her, her new, that single, uh, the video for it, This Is New York. And I'm like, I was digging that shit because it sounded like, it, it was nostalgia to me. Like, the, it was like DMX and Onyx wrapped into one. I'm like, I fuck with this and I ain't even from New York and I fuck with it. <laughs> like, back the fuck up. Move the fuck back. I like all that. That's dope ass energy. Shit, they gave me, like that, you'll probably push so much energy in the gym. I listen to that. I'm about to go back in the gym. I would be putting that on repeat the whole 30 minute workout that I'm going to do. <laughs> Just, what I look like telling a nigga good morning. Like, <laughs> that's a couple lot to start, start a song with. And I dig it. Like I said, it's, it's artists that fits your flavor that you like. Scarlet is one of them. I can't wait to hear what else. I know she just signed with Epic Records. You know, shout outs to Miss Sylvia Rome, still out here, you know, doing a damn thing, you know, getting talent and hoistering. I think she may be managed by Mona Scott Young. I don't know what their connection is. I seen them sitting beside each other at the award show. Maybe she's helping her with a career. Maybe she just, you know, affiliated with, you know, because of the Buster Rhymes connection making that happen but you know i fuck with it you know you gotta find what and the artist that you feel isn't getting what they deserve justly then just hype those artists up more it's that simple i don't i don't get the it, and it's mostly just just shaming these young kids because they like twerking and like saying crazy shit on record because it becoming a thing now because Megan Stallion kind of lit the fire to that because nobody was really rapping like that till she came on the scene and now all the rappers now are you know trying to you know say the most salacious things that's cool and sometimes it sticks sometimes it doesn't uh I think Ice Spice does the same I just actually heard one of her records the ones that she, the, the video she just dropped with Nicki Minaj I you know it, it ain't like I said it's not my taste but I can see, oh, I can see why somebody would like this or whatever. If they got something catchy, the hook is catchy or whatever, I can see what it is and just observe that. I don't get it. Personally, it doesn't tap into me. Like I said, I just said an artist that I tapped in and like Scarlett. Like like I said, that this is New York. That record is fucking fire. I love it. I, I think I repeated it. Like That's the one, that, that type of, because it fits my mode and, and what I like about rap music. You know, and it's just, it's definitely different from the climate that's in now. She's representing New York rap. New Yorkers, you know, got, they anthem, you know. And, you know, New Yorker is no, known for those kind of raps like DMX. You know, we, the Rough Riders anthem, you know, all those great artists that came from that time period. You know, it's dope. It's dope for rap, you know, to have variety. It's just a matter of what y'all give energy to. And y'all keep giving energy clearly, the younger, the youngins. And that's that's where the issue is. I think a lot of us <laughs> are having 
identity crisis. I think a lot of y'all <laughs> that's approaching 40, if you're not already 40, are trying to dictate what hip hop is supposed to sound like. It is like, <laughs> that's not for y'all. It's not, <laughs> it's not, this music is not made for us. It's like, and y'all becoming those aunties and those uncles that's shitting on the younger generation for expressing themselves. Like, they are having fun. Like, let them make their money and have fun. If, if it, we're gonna, like, I just named the artist that is of quality that's giving you the bars, that's giving you the lyrics, that's giving you all that, that's giving you the melodies, that's giving you the hook. And she's signed now, and she's probably gonna give you more of that because she has a machine behind her that's gonna help distribute the music to where she could perform these at multiple cities at, you know, and give, you know, hopefully possibly get her on tour open for people. She's going to be on certain markets to where certain festivals and certain things to where, you know, things are going to pop for her. I just named you an artist that's of quality that y'all looking like that's not, you know, talking about twerking and all that shit that y'all don't like that y'all do, which is weird. <laughs> Because y'all the main ones be getting kicked out of these brunches for standing on top. Wasn't it like some years ago, these 30-plus-year-olds on top of tables at brunch spots uh, that have seating requirement and dress code requirement, y'all getting kicked out of those places? It's like, come on, man. Stop acting like those aunties and uncles trying to police these young kids. Let them have fun. You're not doing anything by trying to uphold, you know, modesty. Fuck out of here. Like I'm not even like I'm not even a person that does any of the shit that these young artists or young as I shouldn't cuz I'm not of that age group to even do that. But even if I did back then, I don't even do that shit and I'm not sitting here shitting on these artists for expressing how they want to express. And I think it's, and I keep going back to it, I feel like it's anti-black for y'all to do that anyway, to be shitting on them at these award shows, like, oh, this is the ghetto, this is it. Like, any of y'all, if BT invited any of y'all to an award show, I'm sure, I'm sure y'all wouldn't know how to act. And even if you are quiet and modest, you don't seem like you're going to be having a good time. And those artists seemed like they were having a good time. They were supporting the musical peers that were on stage. Whether if I knew all the lyrics, and I think, what's his name? Uh, Uzivert, they, he, I watched his performance in that one song, I just wanna rock, I don't wanna rock, I, I don't know shit about, I don't know what the fuck he's, I don't know what he rapping about, I don't know what he's saying, but it looked like he was having a good time, and it looked like the people that liked the song was having a good time, so guess what? I ain't yucking nobody's job. Listen, if you like Lil Uzibert, like Lil Uzibert. That just ain't me. It just, I only know the song because I hear the damn song all the time in people's uh, Instagram videos. Most of these songs I only know because of the 15 second or a minute clip that they played on Instagram because that's what I be on the most to hear these songs. But you ain't go, you know, at the end of the day, it ain't my error. It ain't for me. <laughs> That's what some of y'all are missing. And a lot of y'all think all oh, this music is meant for you. Like, oh, this is meant for us. And they're not representing. Motherfucker, you is 40 with, <laughs> with a 15-year-old. Like, of course this isn't for you. Like, yo, it's for your child. This isn't for... <laughs> and at the same, like I said, the same breath. The artist that you want to get credit, the artist that of quality, 
you have every opportunity in the world to support their music by buying merchandise from them or buying a concert ticket or just go <laughs> it's, it's easy, easy, easy solutions to what y'all feel isn't the right rap music or what music of today is if you don't like the music of today you can simply support the artists that are making noise and saying something it's that simple people make this so complicated and i hate these blanketed oh look at the men and women of today they have no respect for themselves and all that shit. listen these kids now are living in their freedom they ain't giving a damn about what any of y'all in y'all 30s and 40s care about how they represent for black people because they doing them and i respect that because they ain't giving them two fucks about y'all's opinion of what blackness is or what's supposed to be represented and that's really where the main issue is, I think, if we get to the real root of it, that some of y'all, and it could be that y'all just don't like the music and all that shit and just don't think black people should conduct themselves that way. And you're, I don't know if you're in the right to say that, but at the end of the day, that's how you feel. If you really feel that way, you feel that way. But these new artists now, they don't give a fuck about that. And I think there's a, should be a balance of the respect when it comes to the art form, of course, when you put out music. But if that's their way of expressing themselves, who am I? At the end of the day, if that's the way they, if they're doing it for clout, of course it's going to show up. If they can't produce another record to do better, then yeah, those those people are going to weigh out. It always happens because you you can't have longevity if you don't want to put in the work and putting in work, meaning putting out records and then wanting to tour and do all that stuff. That It's going to show up. But at the end of the day, you know, quit trying to police these new artists and how they express themselves. And because, oh, my artist, listen, my favorite rap artist, back in, like, especially when we get to the 90s, I mean, they weren't rapping, I think because they were lyricists, you couldn't really tell, but they were saying some nasty shit I wasn't supposed to be listening to, like Foxy Brown. She was rapping about shit I wasn't supposed to be listening to. <laughs> and then as you come of age, like, you know, preteens and shit like that. You know, I was, in, I think I was in middle school, going on high school when Trina came out. You know what I mean? It's like, and she, I definitely wasn't supposed to be listening to that. And then we go back uh, with the, the the queen of it all that rap like that, Lil' Kim, those nasty raps. Like, I damn sure wasn't supposed to be listening to that <laughs> in 97. <laughs> the hardcore album, I definitely wasn't supposed to listen. either so there's that and it was a lot more critical they were actually trying to get, keep them records from in the store like you know the explicit rap like because back then like the explicit rap it was like a whole nother set i know where i was from in the music store they didn't even keep that in the rap section like you had to ask for that like the explicit rap either it was tucked behind something or it was in a whole other section where you couldn't even get the explicit rap and it would have the explicit sticker in front of the the album so where you know like hey just in case this does have you know some explicitory stuff on it you know but yeah it's like quit policing these new artists man let them express however they want to express is it my taste is it something that i think again it's not made for me 
But that's what these new these new artists are on and their demographic. They like having going to brunch drunk and <laughs> having a good time. You know, it is what it is. Is if they stay if they spit in their life, they spit in their life. If they if they rapping about their life, that's what it's about. And it's not up for me to try to, you know, say they're you know, downgrading black America, black society. You know, it's it's so many it's so much different music that you can if you're trying to get back into trying to hear uh, what's the new music of today and you're not fucking with that, it's so many other artists that you can listen to without having to downplay other shit just because you don't like and it. And that's the only thing I, I take away from the BT Awards is quit trying to police black people on what they like listening to and what they like doing and like what, what they like wearing. It is what it is. It just gets to these weird ass conversations and these always trying to control people it's like it's like everybody's not the same and it's like let them do them that's that's what we're at now if anything we take away from the 50 years of hip-hop is is the originality where's the originality yeah there's some rappers that make the same song yes there's some rappers that's trying to sound like this other artist and they're biting in the style of it and all that stuff but at the end of the day it's like if you can find the top tier out of that the cream of the crop then i think it's worth it at the end of the day it's all about what you give voice to and if you keep hyping up the stuff that's not good then what you think is gonna happen because a lot of y'all like to to keep it to yourselves and not share it and it's like ah oh, there ain't no good music but you you don't even like sharing somebody asked you you might have good taste in music, but you're not sharing none of it because you don't want them to be, because you don't want the artist to get big. What kind of perspective is that? <laughs> you know, you don't think that's selfish to, you know, to share dope artists? Because the more you share it, that's how it catches on. Because if this artist, if this person see it, they're going to like it. And then if they got a certain amount of followers, you know, they're going to keep, that's how you get shit to, you know, circulate and go viral is, you know, by sharing it. But y'all ain't trying to share that. Y'all trying to keep it to yourself. So at the end of the day, the BT Awards, they did what they, I think, made lemons out of lemonade. And then we're going to get to the whole Miss Patty LaBelle, Tina, Tur Tina Turner tribute. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I'm going to stay on this for a, a few more seconds before I get to that one because I definitely got something to say to you. Now, that's what I'm going to switch up and... And I, I would I would give some of the young ones, but there's some of y'all young some of y'all in your 40s as well with that slick ass mouth that I'm gonna address too. Cause y'all y'all very this y'all try to say this the young ones, but no, it's y'all y'all ones creeping up on 50 that got that disrespectful mouth as well. We gonna get to that in a minute. <laughs> Cause I got a whole lot to say on that. Uh, but yeah, uh, the V2 words made you know, lemonade, you know, squeeze as much lemon as they could make lemonade with the show. I mean, they didn't, they first time in a BT Awards history, they didn't have a host. And I think that's probably why the, <clears throat> I guess the lack of promotion or whatever it is you want to call it, because half the information for who was receiving what award, the Lifetime Achievement Buster, I think I found out that day or the day before that he was getting, usually all that, all those details are released usually some weeks prior to uh, the award show coming out. I didn't see any promo. Again, I think that has everything to do with the writers they do because they usually do promotionals 
with the uh, commercials and whatnot, letting you know that it's, and they didn't do any of that, and that has everything to do with the writers. A lot of people don't realize that, like, all those things, and hopefully, if anything, from that, they get that it takes a lot of work for these award shows to happen behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, like the things that entertain in terms of the host coming up with bits and ideas. You know, a lot of, you know, it's all respect to the writers, you know, so, you know, hopefully the appreciation for the, the, the writers uh, coming up with all these different ideas for these artists and for these uh, comedians or hosts that that are performing on the award show to, to give y'all these bits that the respect for them is there and that they get paid what they deserve because it's hard work. And so I think if anything that, you know, the respect for that, that art craft of curating the show has everything to do with the writers on staff and all that stuff. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, something can be done in the, in the either weeks or months of paying these writers, whether they do TV scripts, film and, and all that stuff, uh, award shows, that they all get paid properly because, you know, they, everybody deserves that to get paid what they're worth. I don't give a damn if you don't find value in, in art. You love taking it. That's the thing. People love taking in art. They love seeing it on TV, but you don't feel the people making it to give you your favorite show should be good. That shit, and I think it has everything to do with the ignorance of how this shit works. People think that just because you write on TV shows or you're a part of a TV show sitcom or series or even just film that, oh, you get millions and millions of dollars. Like, no, that shit don't work like that. <laughs> I'm saying that because I work in the, I, that's a, I, I work in that. I help make film soundtracks and scores, so I know what that, what that, what that, all that entails behind the scenes of it. You know, just like uh, this art form that we're about to talk about right now, uh, the, the 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 singing art form, the performing art form of. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get to this. This Miss Patty Labelle, Miss Tina Turner, her tribute to Miss Tina Turner. I should have looked at it all the way because I only think I seen a snippet of a clip of it. And from what I seen thus far, it was pretty good. It wasn't until she got to simply the best. It was about midway through the verse where I could see, I'm like, oh, she can't see the teleprompter. And watching it, I was like, she was doing good up until that point where she couldn't see. And you can visibly see she couldn't see she was looking for a teleprompter, couldn't see it. Which I don't understand why they don't fucking host those things up. I don't know if that has anything to do with the set and, like I said, the whole writer situation, if that has anything to do with that. But it should be some way where they can prompt this shit up because it's other award shows. And I've been to one to where they had it hosted up to where that wouldn't be an issue because it was another show. What was it? Black Music Honors, where they had that same issue. Uh, what was it? Uh, Leandria Johnson was doing, she was part, supposed to be a part of the Missy Elliott tribute, um, singing Free Yourself. And I think it was the start. I don't, I don't think she got through the whole song and uh, she couldn't see the teleprompter. And that was a big deal on the internet. And it's like, oh, it happens, you know. Give them grace, you know. It happens. Just like with Miss Patty LaBelle. Like, it happens. Like, you know what's so crazy? with people's musical opinions, 
They, it's always from people that don't do it for a living. Y'all see how the irony in that? <laughs> it's always the people that don't do this for a living that always have the most to say about, oh, you need to be prepared. Y'all have no idea what it, like that level, the magnitude of performing at award shows. You have no idea how much pressure it is to do that on live television where there's no cutbacks, there's no do-overs. It's, you got one shot to get it right. They're like, oh, you're supposed to have this memorized. You're supposed to have this. Dude, I hate to inform some of y'all. A lot of times at award shows, we're it's so much music, especially if you're under a music director. And shout outs to all the musicians, BB All-Stars. It's so many songs they have to remember. That's why they have sheet music. That's why they have charted it out. Because <laughs> it's a lot to remember. And just like with doing a medley for one of our late legends, that's a lot of music to remember. And so the teleprompters exist at award shows for a reason. Because something, yes, you would want to remember the lyrics, but if it's not a part of assessing of the music that you consume, then of course you're not going to remember it, the lyrics. So fumbles are equal to happy. Listen, I fumble. I'm a musician. And you can fumble and forget a transpose. You can forget the next part of the, I'm like, oh yeah, we're supposed to transition right here. You can mess up in, but it's some, some of the ways you can mess up as a musician. Singer, the, the main notice is forgetting the, forgetting the lyrics or what key change it is and all that stuff. At the end of the day, Miss Carrie LaBelle is a legend. And yes, she forgot lyrics, but at the end of the day, I don't give a damn what she's singing up there. For some of y'all, the disrespect is just too, too big. And I'm not liking it. This is probably the second week in a row I've had to come on this podcast and get some of you MFers together about disrespecting our legends. First, it was with Miss Anita Baker and Babyface. That whole situation. Y'all on the internet talking spicy to her and got this man kicked off a tour. And now y'all on here trying to disrespect Miss Patty LaBelle, talking about, oh, you need to be prepared. This is disrespectful to Miss Tina Turner. Listen, I highly doubt she got on and made a conscious decision. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forget the lyrics to one of the most the queen of rock and roll, one of the greatest presents in musical history that changed the trajectory of how black women are viewed in rock and roll. I'm just gonna just completely dismantle all of Miss Tina Turner's songs and her legacy. I just planned that because I'm not a fan of Miss Tina Turner. I don't like the outfits. I didn't like anything that she has contributed to music. This is an intentional decision for me to forget the lyrics at the VT Award. Listen, some of y'all just, y'all just have no clue what it takes to perform at these award shows. Y'all have, y'all never will because y'all not performers. Y'all the most critical. Like I said, how are you the most critical and you don't do this for a living? If, if anything, you have to have some credentials. If you're gonna be, this should, this should be the criteria from now on. If, unless you have, at least two live performances under your belt. I give it that at the minimum. 
because that's still amateur to have two live performances. But have at least the experience of performing live without a, you know, cut and edit button to where somebody's gonna edit this shit out of you fucking up. Unless y'all got that under your credit, then your observation and critiques of live performances need to be to a minimum. Like quite honestly, if you don't if you don't have at least two performances, don't don't talk about me. Don't 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 disrespect. Talking about oh it's disrespectful. You don't know the circumstances. And from what she said, she wasn't feeling good, she was sick. I, I tell you right now, when I'm sick, I can't remember shit. I can't even remember to eat properly. When I'm sick, I don't even want to eat. I don't want to do nothing. So you got all that going on top of performing. Of course you're going to forget some stuff. It's not going to be on your head. I'm sure if she was feeling 100%, she probably could remember the lyrics without the teleprompter. But when you're not feeling good, that's why I can relate to it and give her that grace. That's what we're missing in this whole conversation about this uh, Tina Turner tribute is the grace that she's not feeling good. So anybody that knows if you experience some, some symptoms, yeah, you may be going on about your day, but some things you may forget. I know I get very forgetful when I don't feel good, when I'm sick, cold, flu, whatever. I get very forgetful, just like I said, of eating and all that stuff. I don't wanna drink water, none of that stuff. I don't wanna get out of bed, I don't wanna do nothing. So I can give Miss Patty LaBelle that grace, one, because she's a legend, and secondly, you know, all those things that contribute, I can see how she forgot the lyrics. If you're not feeling 100%, it makes 100% why she couldn't move on without seeing the teleprompter, because I'm sure, you know, she was feeling 100%, she remembered the lyrics. I know that, because she's been doing this for 50 plus years. And some of y'all are too old to be disrespecting our legends like this. Like, have some fucking decency. Who the fuck raised y'all? And then y'all think, no, she's the one disrespecting. How is she disrespecting by trying to put on a performance and having a hiccup? How is that disrespectful? How is that disrespectful? Nothing about that. You can prepare all you want to. Shit can happen on live television when you're playing. Again, people that are trying to insert themselves and say what they would do when they don't, you never fucking performed in front of anybody. So how the fuck would you know how to prepare for a show? She's literally been doing this for 50 plus years. Do you really think at the height of who she is as a musical legend that she wouldn't put her foot, her best foot forward and that that's the outcome that she wanted was to forget lyrics on live television. Do you really think that's something that that scene, like that's how delusional some of y'all motherfuckers is when you try to find the logic in the shit that y'all say. Cause y'all really think people would be intent now because, and I saw somebody on the internet say, oh, cause she disrespect, she shaded uh, Miss Tina Turner in a in an interview and she wouldn't even say her name. How the fuck do you even know that's who she was talking about? It's like y'all create all these scenarios in your head like it's the truth and it's fucking weird. It's like y'all 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 go with some shit that has no kind of facts 
related to it and because it sounds true and believable y'all like no that's gotta be it and she did that shit on purpose because she's always shaded miss tina turner you have no fucking idea these relationships these stars have with each other y'all don't even fucking know y'all just be saying shit and that shit is so irritating y'all have no idea the relationships these these stars have or who they who how long they've known each other how if they've been to each other's house or not y'all just assume shit and it's irritating and i'm so tired of y'all trying to have the biggest voice i say try because y'all don't you have no credentials to be so critical of music and i'll tell you that to your face i don't give a fuck if you get mad or not you have no credentials and i'm a musician and i'm in certain parts of musical conversations i'm not going to speak to because i can only imagine what's that what, what it's like to be a superstar but i back superstars so i can look at it from the I, I have more of a closer view than somebody that's observing it from the outside. That's why it's like I can give the grace of live performance because I know what it is to perform live in front of people. And that level of magnitude of responsibility there is to perform in a very large audience beyond the people that's in the room. You talk about millions and millions of people watching in. That's a big deal. And for y'all to act like Miss Patti LaBelle intentionally meant to disrespect Tina Turner and y'all think it's some kind of weird, crazy way that y'all are upholding the respect of Miss Tina Turner is that if you if you feel like a legend that you disrespecting another legend is going to get the respect of somebody else is fucking weird. That is just that simple to think that you disrespecting somebody else is going to outweigh something else how does that logically make sense it's just like with the whole baby face in miss anita baker situation disrespecting miss anita baker thinking oh she sells way more records she i mean uh a uh, baby face sells way more records than miss anita baker he has way more hits than her how the fuck does that elevate baby face by shitting on another artist because sometimes talent itself stands on its own you don't have to compare it that's where and that always See, the truth always ends up revealing itself because a lot of y'all motherfuckers is insecure and how y'all do this shit is y'all have these musical conversations and your fucking insecurities show up in these conversations because there's no reason for you to try to big something up to try to make yourself, make your other artists feel better. And all y'all do is throwing in y'all insecurities onto that artist when y'all do that bullshit. And it's no place, like I said last week's episode, Stan culture has no business in music conversations ever because that bullshit don't amount to nothing absolutely nothing if you can't stand true to what the truth is and what the facts are with talk, discussing music without trying to shit on somebody else to elevate somebody else then your argument doesn't hold weight because it should hold itself because talent, that's what it is. Talent's gonna hold itself. It's gonna show itself whether or not you gas it up or not. And so when y'all continuously throw your insecurity, that just says more about you as a music listener than it ever does about the artist that you're trying to defend. 
Because a lot of y'all can't even have real debates without bringing up, oh, they sold way more music than that. Like, anybody gives a fuck about that shit anymore. Like, what fucking world do y'all live in where people still worry about album sales? Or previous album sales. I ain't talking about when their debut came out. Like, come on, get the fuck out of here with that shit. Stop with that stand culture shit and music. Once again, doing this during Black Music Month. Have some respect. Have some respect. Quit disrespecting our legendary artists. It's that simple. I don't give a fuck if you don't think you're being disrespectful. Anytime you compare somebody else or you say, oh, they should have did this, how fucking dare you? Miss Patti has contributed 50 plus years of music. It's the same with the Miss Anita Baker thing. How dare you? Watch your mouth. Quit talking about our artists this way and trying to trivialize every and trying to nitpick bullshit that where it doesn't exist to try to create drama in your fucking made up world of how you think celebrities act. It's bullshit. All y'all doing is projecting your insecurities onto these artists because you can't find a valid reason to have a fucking argument without bringing up some bullshit. Y'all irritate me with that shit. And then gonna get online and then when somebody know more than you and try to check your ass, then you be like, oh, you trying to be arrogant. How the fuck somebody being arrogant because they do this shit for a living? Oh, you don't have to be disrespectful with it. You have no problem doing it. At least I'm getting to the source of the situation. I'm getting to the direct source of the situation and getting to the real issue of your insecurity problems and throwing them off on other artists. They don't need no fucking cosign on what they artist is. Either the music gonna stand alone on the song, they don't need you to defend it. But to say that Miss Patti LaBelle was disrespecting Tina Turner is absolute fucking disrespect and it absolutely trivializes, trivializes every single thing that she has accomplished in this music industry. And to not give her grace, they, oh, they should have got somebody else. Well, good fucking thing, they, they, they have people that hired and don't think like you that just dismiss people because they don't shuck a job the way you want them to. I'm so glad they, 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 they don't hire people like you that are such great music fucking critics. You're on a goddamn keyboard or on your phone criticizing with your 27 followers. Of, of course, they need somebody like you. They know what the fuck they're doing that, that, that has casting and you do all the casting for all the great TV shows. You do everything fucking great. Cause you're such an expert. Get the fuck out of here. Y'all so disrespectful. And then y'all, the crazy thing is y'all even think what y'all doing is disrespectful. That's the crazy part. I'm going to tell you right now. See, see, that's the problem. All of us says above these conversations. <laughs> and, and I see somebody online because they were getting disrespected. They were having a music conversation and they had to check somebody. And then they start doing the, oh, you're too old for this conversation. Shit too happens with these young motherfuckers that don't know shit about the music industry and say, oh, well, you're 20 years removed because you have 20 years experience. You don't know how this new shit is. Motherfucker. The industry is going to always operate in that same realm of how it always been of gearing up to put out music and touring. That's always going to be the case. So to say that somebody that has been doing this for that long and still a prominent force in that music industry is out of date. It's so fucking disrespectful, especially when you have no fucking idea. It's people to this day, their favorite influencer 
they can have a million plus followers. They think they have some kind of connection. Just because they have a million followers, they think somehow they get the connection of Tyler Perry. Like they have his direct line of like, you should, you should uh, be in a Tyler Perry movie. Like they got the direct line to, for some reason, <laughs> when you get followers, you just have all the connections to all the famous people. Like what fucking world do y'all live in where people just, that's just how you connect on the internet. <laughs> These are the same people with musical that I'm, I'm making that equivalency because these are the same people with musical opinions. They think, oh, you know, that's how all that shit works. No, that's not how that works. And it just shows and proves that a lot of y'all don't know. And then it's this thing on the internet. It's a lot of music executives and just people, songwriters and, and producers, which I love and respect because those of us that make music for a living it can be inspirational to us and all that stuff but it gets to the point to where some people try to tell and then when they uh some artists they get on radio shows and, and uh, other podcasts and express their dealings in the music industry and they may have a mishap or something happened financially and they're breaking down what happened and people are like oh you got to do these kind of deals ain't never had a fucking deal record deal at all but gonna tell you how that, like this is how delusional people are on the internet like they gonna try to tell you like they got the hindsight like they've been offered a contract before it's just fucking crazy to me how so many people that don't do that don't work in the music business try to tell you how to conduct music business i've never seen that shit before in my life and, and i shouldn't be surprised because these are the same people during the pandemic the height of the pandemic gonna argue with fucking scientists on how this disease is working when they're trying to figure out the medicine of it criticizing people these are the same people that was mad that a fucking vaccine wasn't available in the beginning and then when it became available now it's a fucking conspiracy theorist of of trying to take us out and create genocide amongst black and brown people like it's fucking crazy like it's just people keep turning the narrative however they want to however they fit and they'll sit and argue with fucking people that do experts that do it for a living like nah you don't know enough i heard on a youtube channel from a fucking anonymous human being that this is what they're really doing with the vaccine it's just fucking it just keeps people just twist and turn shit to fit their own narrative in music conversations and it don't matter if you're talking about food it don't matter what it is, basketball, sports, people will turn that fucking narrative and keep turning it to fit whatever it, the fucked up thing they're thinking in their head. And that section of society, of society, I'm so tired of. And I was trying to say before that a lot of us only engage with the disrespect when it gets too disrespectful, disrespectful when we try to check them. But we need to start ironing. I think the reason why a lot of this shit gets country on the internet because we didn't check this shit a long time ago. Because back then, and I don't want to be that, that OG head, whatever, that, that reminisces of the of the old Twitter days and shit like that. But back in 08, 09, 2010, this shit wasn't happening. Because if you got a fucked up opinion, you was getting checked. And it wasn't just one person. It was multiple people. Yeah, you could call it bullying, but it was good. It was the kind of bullying where... Like the disrespect of certain people wasn't happening. Like, cause I just just specifically, Miss Maya Campbell, she's an actress that was on uh, in the house, the the TV show with uh, 
that was on NBC with LL Cool J, Kim Waynes was on there, Alfonso Rivera, and she was on there, she's the main actor. She had a, that was probably one of the first viral videos I remember on Twitter, and she was not seen in the best light in the video. She, you know, they, she was struggling, you know, in the video, uh, apparent drug, drug uh, related situation that she would, uh, made it appear that she had a drug situation going on on camera with somebody that was antagonizing her behind the camera and she was, wasn't look, seen in the best light because it appeared that she was on drugs, basically. And it, the, the video went viral because a lot of people love Maya Campbell, again, growing up and all that stuff. But you know what happened was, instead of people turning and saying, oh, this, they were trying to get her help. And these were the early days of Twitter, like with the wild, wild west of Twitter. But it was the humanity of trying to reach out to try to find Miss Maya Campbell. It, the internet did that because they wouldn't allow disrespect of her because she was in a vulnerable moment. People on the internet just came together. I see it happen. And those that were remember that, they were on Twitter during that time, know what I'm talking about. A black Twitter, black Twitter congregated together and was like, nah, you're not disrespecting Miss Maya Campbell. And we need to get back to that. That's the that's the internet I remember where we didn't allow disrespect from anybody, any give a fuck what background it came from. You just didn't allow disrespect of some of our most prized, most legendary artists and, and actors, entertainers. You just didn't allow disrespect. And that's I brought that up the say we need to get back to that, that communal of uh, not allowing the disrespect of our legendary artists. And I'm gonna get back to that shit. It's just a lot of people to engage. And a lot of times when you speak in the real, people do not like that shit and try to come at you. It ain't even that I'm afraid of the smoke, it's just that, that energy of, I real, cause, cause when I get into that mode, of responding to disrespect. If I respond to you, you're gonna be deleting your, your page because that's my goal because I'm relentless when it comes to that. That's why I don't do the shit. I don't go back and forth with people because I did that before. And my energy is always, you're gonna, delete your, 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 you're gonna delete your Twitter or your Instagram fucking with me, especially if you only got 12 followers. We gonna get that shit up out of here, bro. You got 12 followers and following 2,000 people, get up out of here with that shit. Most of the time people, just create those counts so they can talk that bullshit. And then when if their page is open, they got maybe three, four, four photos and got some whack ass single they trying to push and shit. If they are recording, if they trying to record music, like get the fuck out of here. Like what, what, what leg do you have to stand on to be critiquing music and you ain't got shit to show for it? That's all I want to say on that. Just. Quit fucking disrespecting. If you ain't got no criteria, if you ain't got no fucking resume to be talking about somebody's performances, then shut the fuck up. It's that simple. And that's, <laughs> I can't nice. I can't find no way to nice that shit up. Quit disrespecting our legendary artists. That's all I'm gonna say on that whole Patty bill. And rest on to Miss Tina Turner, one of our legendary rock and roll performers, one of the greatest of all time. Quit disrespecting our legends and Miss Patty LaBelle did not disrespect Tina Turner. Get that out your head 
and quit spreading that shit around and quit being disrespectful because that ain't the truth. Lastly, I'm going to spend this last bit of time talking about black music. This is like a part two edition of uh, Black Music Month, this part here. We ended off last week talking about, I got kind of into the 70s and then, I mean, post back, pre, like I said, Jim Crow, we, and I ended off of talking about 80s and 90s music and I said, we're going to wrap that up, 2000s, 2010s, 80s to 2010s era music. Like I said, I was trying to say earlier, 80s, 80s to me is the cream of the crop. Like even before pop music, like you get to the pop artists, like R&B specifically in 80s, oh my gosh, it's so many dope ass artists. I know I talked to some of, a little bit of it, like uh, Miss Mickey Howard, Melissa Morgan, uh, Karen White, Jody Watley, 80s R&B singers, but there's so many gold gems like Gwen McCray, we had, uh, who else? Uh, we had so many great groups. The system. We had the barge. So many great '80s R&B acts. The Deal, Babyface, and L.A. Reid. You know, production team. You know, produced for the Whispers, the uh, Rocksteady, and and artists that continued their legacies, like going from the '60s, '70s, '80s. Like um, the Isley Brothers, you know, fantastic how they were able to go through each uh, decade as well as the Whispers because they got their hit record, uh, Rock Steady. Steady rocking all night long, you know, all that. To rock, steady. Produced by Babyface and L.A. Reid. You know, they, they, they survived each decade, you know, by putting out music. It's the same with Lionel Richie, Smokey Robinson, Aretha Franklin, released a great album, Jump To It, Aretha Franklin. You know, come on. It's like, they had a lot of resurgence that happened in the 80s, as well as Miss Dionne Ward. They were able, Miss Tina Turner. And that was so hard for her to, to really, and I'm a, we definitely gonna dedicate an episode to talking about Tina Turner's legacy and, and just to and go in depth with it because that whole era of the 80s and how she dominated and almost didn't, couldn't do it. It was a struggle for her to even get to that point and for her to receive that success, you know, is so inspiring. I, I would definitely wanna talk about that because I wanted to I wanted to do an episode talking about her documentary that was on, uh, that, that was released uh, not that long ago. But yeah, the 80s was just a good time musically. And I know 90s, like I said, people love, you know, when they the, talk about nostalgia, they love bringing up, you know, the 90s. But, you know, the 80s, they had the motherfucking joints too, man. And Kashif, come on now. We ain't gonna forget about our brother Kashif. He released his own solo music and then did music with Miss Evelyn Champagne King and did Whitney Houston's You Give Good Love. Man, it was just great production all the way around. Midnight Star, Atlantic Star. We we go keep going down the list. There's so many artists I can't think of. It's like Ashford the Simpson as well. Solid, solid as a Listen, Ashford the Simpson, another uh, duo group that you know, that kept 
keeping up with the times. Just elite songwriters. Elite songwriters. Ashford and Simpson, one of the greatest songwriting duos of all time. Gotta give that respect. I love Ashford and Simpson. Ashford and Simpson's discography. It's like one of the best. Man, it's just so great. It's just the writing is just so divine. It's like, how did they come up with that? Miss Valerie Simpson and Mr. Nick Ashford. Mr. Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson, the greatest duo of all time, married duo of all time. Just fantastic. Uh, but yeah, the 80s joints they had too? Ooh-wee. Don't make me get in that, man. I love the discography and Earth, Wind & Fire as well. They had some hits that kind of through the 80s. You know, Philip Bailey, he, he did um, his own thing. He had his solo records. I don't know if made his big, but they still stand on his own. If you go back and listen to him, you know, shout out to Mr. Philip Bailey, one of the greatest. Like I said, I mentioned the Isley Brothers, you know, that resurgence with Miss Angela Wimbush. Angela Wimbush, listen. Garden of Flowers for Miss Angela Wimbush. I was we just talking about her with some other musical cats. Talking about her genius and her production and songwriting. Second to none. Just fantastic. Man, Renee and Angela. And then with the Isley Brothers, that, that resurgence they had in the 80s. You got to give her credit for that. That sound. Because that's the thing about when you, when you produce and songwrite. When you're a musician... When she was an elite musician, uh, when you, you have that ability to tap into other artists and create music, they usually can replicate music that fits their voice. That's the, and, and when you have a writing style that matches because y'all sing in the same key, and y'all do, and, and her and Ronald Isley had the same type of falsetto, and she can go into in and out of that falsetto like he did. And so she was able to create music in that style because she understood his singing ability. And when you can do that as a producer, that's how that musical chemistry happens because you get it, you understand it. And Miss Angela Wimbush deserves all the credit. And I always give her praise on the internet, on Twitter. I did a whole thread that went viral talking about that. But yeah, all the love and respect to Miss Angela Wimbush because she had, she has it, like she had it. The 80s, that I love you more. Woo, that shit's so funky. I'll be good. You don't have to cry. And then her solo joints, Angel, and listen. All the love and respect Miss Angel Wimbush. But yeah, there's so many artists I don't wanna fucking forget. 80s, I know I'm gonna forget a lot of them. I, I mentioned so many of them. Woo. And Pebbles, Pebbles had some joints too, late 80s, I think 89. Yeah, always. Sherelle, Alexander O'Neill, one of my top favorite male vocalists of all time. Mr. Alexander O'Neill, no question. Timeless, no pun. But yeah, she, he just, ooh, man. You talk about Alexander O'Neill, one of the smoothest, voice, smoothest voices love his voice it just it just penetrates the heart it's just great vocals great lyrics one of my favorites i'm trying to think of some more artists i think i mentioned uh hopefully i said uh, james ingram uh fantastic even barry white he he was you know he had his thing going on in the 80s too 
and Quincy Jones, you know, the magnetic, this innovative arranger, composer, producer, musician, orchestrated all these great albums. You know, what he did for Michael Jackson with All the Wild Going in the Thriller, Thriller, one of the top best selling albums of all time. What he did with that, he knew how to, you know, orchestrate it. He knew how to put people in place and, and put it in pocket to where everything made sense sonically. Always respect Mr. Quincy Jones. He kept reinventing himself during the 80s and doing musical scores for soundtracks and everything he's done in, in that. Always the respect for him, you know. Like I said, there's so many to go through the 80s, but if I define the 80s, it's just that creativity. It was just a, a just an electric uh, authenticity of just musical talent that just expressed themselves across all genres. And I love how artists then just was making just making music just to make it. It wasn't subjugated to this is what black artists are supposed to make and all that. Even though some record execs like Clive Davis was trying to pigeonhole artists into trying to do certain kind of music what he tried to do with Phyllis Hyman and all those soul artists and whatnot and trying to make so many Whitney Houston's and trying to make pop acts, black acts, pop acts and stuff. But overall, I love the individuality of all those artists coming up in the 80s, doing their own thing and going with the times and, and trying to figure it out. And those that, like I said, were established like Lionel Richie that found their way through the different changes in music, Stevie Wonder as well, all found their own wavelength. And I, I think I always celebrate, I want to celebrate that part of music when it comes to the 80s because it's so diverse. That's what I love most about the 80s. It's just no artist, even though some of the, you might sound, some of the production sounds the same, but some of it didn't. It just, it just was a vibe. It was just, everything about it was just a good time. That's what I love most about it was the, different kind of artists and we go past like I said I think I, I, I spoke on it a little bit we're talking about Uptown but with that change in music happened because R&B had a certain kind of sound like you had the crooners you had it didn't have a style to it it wasn't a specific it wasn't it didn't conjoin with anything else like like hip-hop wasn't hip-hop was there but it wasn't it, it didn't sound cohesive because I think you know, Quincy Jones tried to do the hip hop. He had, you know, uh, certain artists on his uh, couple albums in the 80s, but that shit, it, it didn't really um, join forces and make sense until, like I mentioned, Uptown Records of uh, CEO, Mr. Andre Herrera. What he did with Uptown, when he cre created that label, he had a, a roster of artists that brought the, that hip hop and R&B world together and made this shit fly. In terms of the look, in terms of the representation of it, of what hip hop and R&B looked like, he joined those forces together and took that shit by storm and just took it to a whole nother level. Just creatively and just aesthetically, the way it looked, hip hop and R&B, it had a look. And not saying he created and started hip hop, but that's when, in terms of commercialization and the appeal of hip hop and R&B of it being commercial, I think it started with Uptown. It's very, I, I think I can get a, a, a host of panel of artists to come on and talk about that, about the impact of Uptown Records. And we can get into breaking down Uptown Records in, a, in, the, in the 
most in-depth way possible, but that's what I feel, that the identity of hip-hop R&B started with Uptown Records because it didn't have one at that moment in terms of it merging. You got to give them credit. Teddy Riley Guy, uh, Heavy D, and the boys, I'll Be Sure, Father and C, Joe to C, Mary J. Blige, the start of the queen of hip hop. So it just it just started there, and then there that's when you had they they just started everything. New Jack Swing when that music came in, man. Chuck Chucky Booker, you know, did his thing, you know, with Troop. All that all that music started to to sound. It started just the the rumble. You had a rumble that happened. Like late '80s, going into the '90s, you know those groups that were coming out. Uh, like I mentioned, Jodeci and Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige when we started off hip hop and R&B, and then here comes uh, SWV. You know, the greatest that took that hip hop and R&B to another level. The first female group to take that shit to another level. You know, you had R&B female groups before, but they, they didn't really take hip-hop and R&B by storm like SWV did. Like, they're the pioneers of it. A female group for hip-hop and R&B. The intro. Intro did their thing, too. Early 90s was just a good time. And then you had the rappers, uh, I, yeah, I'm gonna do a whole separate. I'm gonna do soul because I, I I think I'm speaking specifically with R&B and soul music because hip hop. If I sit and break down, it's so many compartments with hip hop. It definitely has. It, it'd be like a part one and part two show to break down. So I'm just sticking with strictly like if it's R&B is. I mean hip hop is R&B and hip hop artists, not specifically hip hop because we we keep it's so many artists to break down. I have to write a list of it, and I'm gonna have to get another panel of <laughs> of people to talk about hip hop to celebrate 50. We're gonna do that 50 years of uh, celebrating 50 years of hip hop episode, and I'm gonna get a, a host of a uh, panel of hosts to talk about hip hop because I can't really do it in this episode, even though you know such an integral part of music and the change of it, the trajectory of it, of how music, black music was presented going into the 90s the more commercial success it started to get with labels like Def Jam and what they were doing in terms of uh, reaching the masses you know got to give credit to that Def Jam that factor of it and then uh, the other labels that were starting to form and Ruthless you know uh, Easy e what he was doing with NWA and then you know, Ice Cube, you know, pillaging, doing his own thing and creating his own label, Lynch Mob, and, you know, leaving NWA and joining forces with other fantastic producers, um, like, um, that produced with Public Enemy, that, just that, what they did with Fight the Power and how that spoke to the masses and, and that film success it's just that anthem that's what i associated with it's like hip-hop was i always associated it was i think reason why the 90s people was like why is the 90s such a big era i think the reason why mostly why people have it because it was such an integral part of our culture and and just everyday life like i can remember watching tv shows 
and hip hop artists or R&B artists being featured on those TV shows. Like vividly, I can remember like New York Undercover, like that was hip hop was such an integral part and it had everything to do with Andre Harrell, you know, get James and Tumay, you know, music supervisor, you know, creating all the hip hop, getting all the R&B hip, R&B hip hop acts to perform at Natalie's at the end of the episode, that was like the main attraction to that show was the, the, the acts that were performing on there. And they had almost every kind of 90s act on New York Undercover and then they would do cameos, guest spots on other TVs and sitcoms. Like Martin, he had, you know, Biggie on there and uh, different, you know, it just, it just was a span, it was just a, it was just such an integral part of, of sitcoms and playing the music on the shows where it wasn't like a big deal with the license, music licensing and they, they allow those artists to perform on those shows and play their music, either snippets of it or have them perform. It was just, it was just a part of those of us coming of age that were teenagers or just, you know, it was just, it was just an important part of music. Of, of uh, the experience of entertainment, all those words were starting to collide and come together, and I think that's why, because it was it, it was everywhere, you know. Now, I don't think it was like that. I think the more commercial it became, it became more popular. It was in commercials. It was in it was everywhere. So I think that's the integral part of it. But I'm I'm, I'm quickly, and, and I can't name all the '90s artists. I mean, y'all know. Look it up. I mentioned SWV. Jeanne is one of my, those are my top favorite girl groups in the 90s. SWV, Jeanne, In Vogue, TLC. I love, I love Jade too. Jade has some singles too. Cut Close, great group. Brownstone, fantastic. You know, of course, Escape. You know, you had all those acts. Escape. Uh, trying to think of some more 90s artists. It's a lot. Yeah, the Shante Moores. You had, uh, Kelly Price coming in late 90s, Faith Evans, Brandy, Monica, come on, solo. And the crazy thing is, I knew Brandy um, for acting more than music, because when she dropped, I remember when she dropped I Want to Be Down, because it was like later on in 94, because earlier that year, she was on Thea, and I think Thea, I can't remember if it got one or two seasons, but I remember Brandy first for Thea, being on a TV show on the ABC, because it came on ABC. I remember her more for that. So when she premiered, I think I remember seeing the video on Video Soul Don, with Donnie Simpson on uh, I Wanna Be Down video, not the remix, the, the the original one. When it premiered on there, I remember thinking, oh, that's uh, Old Girl from Thea. That's what I remember. I was like, oh, she made music out of it. Because I remember her singing on the show. But I, that's a vivid memory I had which is so crazy because I remember her acting first and then that's how I'm telling my age. Because y'all, <laughs> most y'all don't even, some of y'all so young, y'all don't even know that she was a part of a TV show first. But that's how her, her uh, interest into the, the industry was for acting first. Most of y'all don't even know that. That's so wild. Damn, we, we're <laughs> big catalysts for uh, real musical history. We, <laughs> It's so crazy because we talk about music like because it's such a vivid, vivid thing that I can remember like specifically. And for others, it's going to be like a fossil, like we're going to be fossils soon because because that's just how advanced technology and, and life has progressed. But we're still so young. But people look at us like <laughs> the young ones coming up 
after us is gonna be like, man. So, cause a lot of them are full moon, uh, full moon fans of Brandy, like the that era of Brandy where she was putting out great music, the self-titled joint, Full Moon, Aphrodisiac. I think that's the name of that album. But the post-Brandy albums after her debut, they're they're fans of the Jerkin Brothers production, LaShawn Daniels, you know, rest on him. But yeah, it's like, like I said, it's so much that people don't know because either they don't have it replayed on TV like that. It never got the, I don't think Thea's ever been, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, when it gets replayed, uh, the word's not coming to me. I'm getting sleepy, y'all. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word that, uh, whenever whenever the, the I'm gonna I'm look it up because that word's gonna bother me if I don't get it. Whenever it gets, uh, syndication, that's the word I was looking for. I don't think the uh, the TV show was ever, and it was uh, by the, centered around the, the comedian Thea Vidal, I think that's how you say her last name. She was popping in the comedy world. She was a stand-up and she got a TV show. Yeah, that's a whole subject on that, I think. I think I know the reason why, because she don't seem like she was that night. I think you gotta, yeah, that's a whole other subject. I don't wanna get into that. I heard some things about why that show probably got canceled or whatever. I think the treatment of people on the set and all that had something to do with why that show never continued because she was real talented. And the show was really good because Jason Weaver uh, played Brandy. Jason Weaver that was in Smart Guy, he he played the the sibling of Brandy and was in the show. And I forgot the other brother's name. I wonder what that, that dude does. I think he played the older brother. I wonder what he does now. I have to look up the guy's credits and see what he's doing now. That I haven't seen him in nothing since the 90s. But yeah, getting on a whole Brandy tangent. Of course, Moesha. People know her uh, famously for Moesha, but yeah, I remember her from Thea first, that, that TV show. Uh, Moesha, of course, a cult classic, um, just like with the Parkers, a spinoff of Moesha. Uh, yeah, sitcoms, I always think of sitcoms and stuff like that, because all those words were interchangeable uh, during the 90s. But yeah, 90s is fantastic. Yeah, of course, I lived the era. Of course, it's fantastic. <laughs> Group solo artists, music is just... Everything just popped in. Like I said, hip hop, when hip hop emerged and R&B, when those worlds started colliding, it just made everything better. It's just like adding caramel. Like, of course, ice cream itself is delicious, but when you add caramel on top of it, that's what I, that's the only thing I could think of to, to make an analysis of hip hop. It's like adding the drizzle, adding <laughs> adding the caramel. And I know some of y'all will be like, it's caramel. I say caramel. That's how it look like it's spelled. That's how it look like it's a sound. And that's how I say it, caramel. You say caramel, whatever, tomato, tomato. But it's just adding that on top of that, adding the, the extra on there that made it pop. And that's what it is. That's how I define the 90s. Like I said, hip hop, man, we can't, we, man, it would be a whole other show. There's so many sections because you had the South regionally, it was just doing fantastic. You had the Bay Area, South, North, Midwest. Listen, I ain't got time to go through hip hop in the 90s. We don't, like I said, it's going to be a separate episode and then. Like I said, uh, hip hop was dominating and I'm trying to think of the, the, the point to where, cause it, it stayed like that for a while. And then you had the section, I think the biggest thing 
if I mention is the, 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 the West Coast, East Coast, when that came a thing, when it wasn't supposed to be the thing, it was just with two artists that spun into different people tripping and then it became a catastrophe and just tragedy. I remember that because it was, that was a really dark time in music when that beef happened with Pac and Biggie and then they ended up both dying, you know, separate from each other, you know, Pac first and then months later, Biggie died. That really changed hip hop. I think that's when the change really happened. But yeah, we would have to do an episode talking about that, but just swiftly moving past the 90s, that really shook up the industry in a whole because once Biggie passed, then it was like, oh man, we need to unify. And it was a lot of that energy happening in the industry. And I think it affected almost every genre of music because it felt like music was in a standstill, especially for black music, it was in a standstill for a minute. And then I remember when DMX came on the scene, that's when hip hop had a second win, I think. And I'm gonna have other experts on, I'm gonna have other uh, hip hop musicologists on to talk about what they think, what changed hip hop during the late 90s, what, 97, 98? I, I remember DMX when he came on the scene that shit changed forever. And that's that's definitely major coming from somebody from the Midwest. I'm from Oklahoma. So for me to say that, it has to be real for us, for it to touch us in that. But that just shows you the power of television and, and how music crosses over to different things. But yeah, I think it changed with DMX and then with the DMX's came the Jay-Z's. Jay-Z came in, you know, the commercial commercialism of hip hop started to happen and it was, you know, it was a lot, a lot about the, the groups and the label mates, you know, the, the crews, you know, you had the Rough Riders, you had the Locks, Bad Boy was still doing their thing, you know, Puff, you know, was still doing his thing with Bad Boy, you know, you know, I mentioned Uptown, you know, he came, Puff came from Uptown, so when he created Bad Boy, he had the hip hop and R&B, he was taken to another level, you know, Faith. Like I mentioned, Faith, uh, Biggie, Craig Mack, Total, 112, you know, that that was flourishing, you know, going into the mid-90s, late, late 90s, and Bad Boy kept doing their thing, and then, you know, Spawn and Carl Thomas, he had a lot of session singers, and we got Kelly Price, you know, that's when we got Kelly Price, you know, those soulful vocals, and then when she came, a solo artist, you know, did records with Mr. Ronald Isley, uh, yeah, just it just kept going, and you had wait, and then Whitney Houston, you know, had a resurgence. You know, uh, she you know did the record with Faith and Kelly Price, and it, your music was just kept going and flowing. And then you had the different artists that were coming in early two thousands, like I mentioned, Carl Thomas. It was a lot. It's it's, it's it's just a lot of singles that were starting to pop, and you had the Shanti era where they were dominating. Ja Rule came in dominating you know, for the pop charts and in black music, that was a big deal. You know, they were they were taking over and then it started to turn again and then you had the beefs happening <laughs> that switched it up again and then people were trying to squash that because they didn't want it to feel like the Biggie and Pac thing. I remember that vividly, that whole beef with Pac, I mean, not Pac, um, with 50 Cent and a Ja Rule beef, that was a different time in hip hop <laughs> where people were really tapped into it. Um, and then from that span, Dre, you know, Dre's label, and then he had the game, 2005. I remember that era very, 
vividly the early 2000s. It, it was just so many artists. That was the change of it to where it became like um, an award show. BT Awards did a great job of amplifying black music. In some of those artists performed at, uh, on the award shows and then Beyonce was emerging, coming from, I mean, Destiny's Child happened late 90s. And then that whole uproar of them breaking up, nobody knew why they broke up. And then they ended up adding on members and taking away members. And then it was just Kelly, Michelle, and Beyonce. And then they dropped their album, the Independence thing, early 2000s. And I remember that was big talks so of if they were to stay together, break up. And then I, when they, uh, I think Beyonce was pursuing acting. Uh, she did the Carmen Jones, the Carmen Jones, the MTV hip hopper thing with most with uh, I almost said his uh, old stage name, Yazine Bay and uh, what was his name? What was that black dude's name? Every fucking black, every movie, black movie in the nineties. What is his name? It's driving me crazy. I'm about to Google right now. I can't believe I forgot his name because he was so prominent in the the nineties. He's in Soul Food. Let me see. I'm about to Google it. But yeah, uh, Beyonce was acting. That that was that was a thing that she was doing because she was in that movie uh, Fighting Temptations with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. And Faith Evans was in that. Bilal, he was just the the, the singer at the at the the club. Um, and then uh, Eddie Levert, Walter from OJ's was in it. Angie Stone. Yeah, it was it was a it was a lot of acts that were that were in that film. Oh, that movie was produced by uh, I mean not movie that film was produced by the the hip hopper. I forgot that was uh, directed by uh, Robert Townsend. But yeah, let's play off of Carmen. Uh, Carmen Jones, uh, the hip hopper, uh, Makai Pfeiffer, that was his name. That was gonna bug the shit out of me because I know his start name started with an M. I just couldn't remember, and which is so weird because, um, excuse me, I usually remember names like that. Makai Pfeiffer, but yeah, he was, uh, in that. We have Beyonce started acting, and listen, you had to be in that era. I understand every in terms of the early 2000s, now that is very vivid in my memory, 90s. It's kind of sketchy because I try to tie it together by the albums that I was listening to at the time. That's how I tie in those eras. But early 2000s, I remember almost every single year going up to 2010. And when I look at that 10 years of 2000, from 2000 to 2010, I remember that era so freaking vividly. It's insane. Like I can literally go down every year and tell you what albums were, were out during that time period and who were all popping. Like I can literally do that. Like that whole time, that was 2002, when Beyonce, and if you remember specifically, for those that are, and y'all that heavy Beehive fans, do y'all remember when all three members of Destiny's Child after, I mean, and some of y'all don't even remember Latavia and Latoya being a part of Destiny's Child. I ain't talking about that after they broke up, even though their songwriting skills, Latavia and Latoya, whoo, writing's on the wall, dope. Their writing is dope as hell in terms of what they contributed to Destiny's Child. After they broke up, you remember we didn't find out who was in the group until Say My Name video. It was like, who's these two chicks? 
it was Farrah and uh, Michelle in the video. We was like, who are these new members? And then in the Farrah, they had the, the TV show or something like that. It was uh, Farrah got kicked out of the group and then it was just them three. Do y'all remember though? When uh, MTV was like tracking them when they were doing the independent, the, 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 the album that was coming out with just them three. Y'all remember when they did their own album? Y'all remember that? Because Beyonce did her own album, her debut, uh, Kelly, and then Michelle did her joint too. Y'all remember that? See? That, and that was a whole marketing thing behind that. People don't remember that, but I do. And they dropped their, they did their individual thing because Beyonce dropped that in 03, her debut album, Dangerously in Love. And then Kelly dropped her album, Michelle, they all did their thing. And guess what happened? They came, they were like, we're gonna come together one more time and we're gonna release, which is to date, their, their last album is Destiny Child, Destiny Fulfilled, one of their best. I remember that whole promo for that album. That album is so dope. I remember that so vividly. Cause then they dedicated to you join and then the BT Wars. BT Wars was a big deal for, I'll say, it still is. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna discount them like that. But during that time period, BT Wars was a big deal. The early 2000s era BT Awards, just fantastic. And I remember every, I remember every performance, like all the Lifetime Achievement performers or uh, receivers, Lifetime Award receivers. Oh man, I remember all of it. Cause I think the first one was Whitney Houston. That was 2000, 2001. Now that's when I get confused because it was 01, 02, I think 2002 was, no, it was 2001. Cause they didn't have a 2000. They didn't have a 2000 yet. Cause 2001, it was Whitney. Cause I it was Whitney, Lifetime was the first one. And then the second one, 2002 was um, Earth, Wind and Fire. 2003, oh shit, I shouldn't do this. Cause I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get the year fucked up. <laughs> It was Isley Brothers. <laughs> See, I'm already losing count. <laughs> yeah, I ain't gonna go down that route because I, I, I thought my memory was strong and I'm, get, I'm gonna get the years fucked up. Let me stop while I'm, about, <laughs> while I'm good. Miss Pat LaBelle, yeah. Oh man, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. I think that was 2002, Earth, Wind and Fire. And then it was Isley Brothers and then James Brown. When James Brown came out, oh my God. I mean, when Michael Jackson came out, I remember that watching that live on TV. That was such a big deal. Like the whole crowd was going crazy. That was that was such a big deal. Then the Prince one, Shaka Khan, were Lifetime Achievement Award receivers. Listen, we go keep going down the list. There's so many of them. Smokey Robinson, uh, Charlie Wilson. Who, uh, yeah. Now, now I'm starting to get fuzzy when we get to 2008, 2009. I'm trying to remember all the receivers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to quit Bob, Bob behind because <laughs> I'm starting to forget. But yeah, BT Awards was a big deal then, you know, for, especially for, for black music, for sure. I think NAACP, they were on Fox for a minute, but I think that Fox, they lost the contract with um, showing the, the, the Image Awards on Fox. And then it started to go to the, the, the black owned networks, which was dope too. 
but it was I remember the it was on Fox mostly um, that that award show. It was a lot bigger. Their budget was a lot better too. I think I feel like when it was on Fox, but that's a whole other subject. But yeah. I remember all those years in music, and it was a good time. Those were good time. I think it was a lot of, I'm trying to think of somebody that was really prominent, and, I, and the only person I can think of that was really dominating for the 2000s was Beyonce. I'm trying to think of hip-hop artists that were dominating for 2000s, and it was just a bevy of artists. It wasn't anybody specific that I could think of, except for Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Yeah, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Like, the, 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 they were, when I, they, that's debatable. I'm gonna have to, cause my, my, I said I remember, but I'm trying to remember specific that changed the, the, that's such a specific thing that I'm trying to curate a question for. I'm probably gonna get a panel again to, I keep mentioning that, but we're gonna talk about it and really talk about the dominance of that era, specifically 2000s. But what I remember is just those artists in particular, there's a lot of solo artists. I think the, the ways of the groups was starting to die down. Even with hip hop groups, it wasn't a thing anymore because before then, early 2000s, it was like Dipset, it was Locks, it was um, Rockefeller Records, the, the, you know, the, the, the host of artists. It was just really group, like label mate driven. Like everybody was on everybody's record that came from the same label. So it was a lot of that happening in the 2000s. 2010s, I think the rebirth of, of hip hop. Cause it, cause I think 2000, that's when it started getting shaky. 06, 07, it was about three years. I'll say Drake kind of changed the formula that I give him that credit. And that in terms of changing the, the the wavelength of that because for that four or five years of hip-hop straight garbage and i say that because it wasn't really lyricist i guess i shouldn't say it was garbage because it was just a lot of uh dancing <laughs> happening during that time period mid 2000s like 2006 to like 2010 11 it was a lot of uh duggies it was a lot of uh teach me how to dougie it was a lot of uh stanky legs and i guess that's a fun time in hip-hop or whatever it was a lot of dancing walk it out it was a lot of, a lot of that music happening during that period so i can't really say it was garbage i guess i guess i was saying it from thinking of hip-hop artists like the actual artists that had lyrics and stuff like that but i guess everything had its time then but that that really defines 2000s mid 2000s is a lot of fun a lot of fun hip hop it was it was a lot of that a lot of fun you know and snoop you know kept the wave snoop had a lot of great albums that dropped during that time too he had ooh man he had um snoop kept kept it alive too i give jay a lot of credit for snoop deserves a lot of credit for early 2000s mid 2000s you know he dropped a lot of great albums during then the, the red the blue carpet treatment oh that was a dope album they had dropped in 06 that was a dope album yeah snoop was was definitely on the pulse of you know connecting with the the younger cats and keeping the music alive but yeah sorry i had to do i'm probably like why are you talking more about hip-hop but we're gonna get i'm gonna get to that but this one just celebrate just to cap off black music month like i said in last week's episode just we gotta preserve 
black artists, black music, and doing that is by reaching back and teaching these young ones about the music. Prior to the 90s, we gotta get more into the history. And I try to do my best to talk about that and talk about music before the 90s. The people swear up and down, music stops at the 90s. And there's so much fucking richness in our culture. And we gotta get to the root of it and get in track. I try to track it back to, like I even talked about, you gotta get in the last week's episode. And I try to really give reference to those that really push for that music to get heard as black artists, like where they wasn't even seen as three-fifths of a human being. They had to perform, like you gotta give the credit to those that had to perform, you know, give their all, give 100%, but still wasn't treated as a human. They had to be sectioned off to the world, couldn't even, couldn't even have, a, like I said, a cup of coffee or a piece of pie at a diner. They had to be either in the back with the cooks or just, just, just treat it like less than in blacks and whites only spaces. Like that's that's a part of the history as well when we talk about black music. And so we gotta give the respect, like with Mr. Quincy Jones, everything that he's sacrificed, everything that he's done, the errors and different genres that he's created, he's lived through a lot of stuff. And he's one of the ones that still, you know, reaches back and tries to get new talent, musicians specifically that you know, great drummers and bassists and pianists, and he cultivates them and, and gives them inspiration, and he keeps moving it forward. And that's what we, we need more of, and, and see the example of taking these young black music creators and showing them the way and not criticizing so much, but those of us that do it for a living and make music, it's our responsibility. And those that are really heavy music listeners and music lovers it's our job to educate the ones coming after us and not disrespecting their music not disrespecting that but finding if you want them to listen to certain kind of music and get their knowledge then show them that without criticizing it that's what we need more of and that's what's going to get young people more involved to listen to the, the music that was before them is by respecting you know, even if it's not up to par, just find some creative way to say, hey, let's try this instead, instead of disrespecting it, because it's not going to get you nowhere, because they ain't going to listen to you. I'm telling you, I'm not saying this just because, I'm saying this because this worked for me. You know, I help mentor kids, I help raise kids, and so teaching them music before, I'm like, hey, I know this artist, but hey, have you heard... Heavy D, have you heard Fresh Prince? I know you know Will Smith, the actor, but do you know Fresh Prince and uh, his his DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff? Do you know that music? Do you know Big Daddy Kane? You know, you know, if you want to teach them hip hop, if you want to teach them, like, hey, this is a section of hip hop, this is a section of hip hop. Do you know about this artist? Do you know about that artist? Do you know about this soul artist? Do you know about Sarah Vaughn? Do you know about Ella Fitzgerald? Do you know about Nancy Wilson? Do you know you know, Miss Dionne Worry, do you know Miss Anita Baker, do you know Miss Aretha Franklin, do you know uh, Miss Gladys Knight, do you know all these artists, do you know Miss Millie Jackson, do you know who that is? Oh, you don't? Well, here it go, right here, this is her record she dropped. You know, you gotta, you gotta give the respect. Hey, do you know about this male solo artist, do you know about Glenn Jones, do you know about Alexander O'Neill? 
James Ingram? Do you know Barry White? Do you know this artist existed? Do you know Elder Bars? Do you know? It's just, it's just so, so much music that we can teach. And, you know, we, we shouldn't focus on the stuff that don't matter. Focus on the stuff that matters to you, that, that, that's going to, at the end of the day, teach the, the young ones about our history and, and everything and not just tell the good side of it, tell everything, tell, you know, every, the hardships. And then if you can personalize it and say, this was happening during this era, this is what, because that's what's going to make them appreciate it. That's what's going to make them. And I love that there's, because it's like a trend on the internet to those that, <laughs> that don't follow, because I'll be paying attention to what these young ones be looking at. And it's a lot of them are fascinated. <laughs> our, our history, our, the way we grew up is a fascinating, is a musical history fossil for them. Now, <laughs> they, they got CDs, they are rediscovering CDs, y'all. They are rediscovering cassette tapes and vinyls. And they are very interested in it. And I think it's dope. I think it's... <laughs> and listen, man. The people giving them a hard time. The generational Z's and all these different ones. I don't know all the general, generational names. But, man, these young ones coming up, man, they got it good, man. Because they, they, they have a plethora of knowledge at their disposal. But at least they're using it. You know? That's what the takeaway I get from it, and that they are willing to learn, and they want to learn, and they want, and they're and they're not even dependent on anybody to show them. I think that's where the main issue is with our generations, that 30s and 40s and approaching 50s type of, because we were always waiting on somebody to, to show us something of that. And it's like you know, as kids, we were always trying to discover different music on our own, and these kids. I think we got too dependent on people showing us new music and stuff like that and, and influence us that way. These kids are finding inspiration on their own, which I think is dope. And they learning it. The internet is giving them so much different leeways to, to learn about music and, and take it in and getting it, you know. And I respect that. It's, it's so many young, I'm so hopeful for this generation. People be like, oh, it's hopeless. Nah, man. It's these young ones coming up, especially the Samara Joy. Oh man, what? What? She just dropped, I need to get that jazz vinyl. Samara, she just dropped a jazz, just a vinyl. I need to get that. But yeah, man, you talk about new artists coming up. Not even 21. These, these young ones ain't even 25. And are just studying the music and getting into the crates in any genre. They're just, just really, elevating musically if you pay attention there's some out there that's doing it so shout outs to those artists like that that are coming up they're that are trying to find themselves musically and still being students of the craft i respect that and to the young ones that are trying to find you know it's a trend on the internet where they start reviewing music that it's like music that i grew up on like they don't even know who lauren hill fuji's is but they just rediscovered like oh this is dope and i I think that that section of <laughs> of the youth is I think that can be fun as well. And I'm I'm very happy that at least they're they're digging in and trying to learn. So that's the positive I take away from Black Music Month. Hopefully this episode can inspire you to live, to just support, if anything, support black artists. That's how they, they're gonna get you the music if you support it. Support by purchasing their 
merchandise that's on their website, whether you get the t-shirts at concerts or order it on the website, support their artistry. That's how they keep it going. A lot of them are not funded or not don't have record labels behind them. So everything that they put out, the merchandise and the ticket sales, that's what's gonna help them go to your city or keep them propelled to wanna keep creating music is if you support it, quit keeping it to yourself. Get back in, cause I'm getting back into collecting. I'm uh, Once I, I'm about to get me a whole, cause I, I got my, my vinyls, but I don't have them all set up. But once I get my shit situated in my crib, I'm about to have, I'm about to get a whole section. I'm about to buy cassette tapes again. I'm about to start, I'm about to buy me a VHS. I gotta go on, I gotta either go on Amazon or something and figure it out and, and see if they have it. But I'm about to start collecting cassettes again. I, that's the thing now. You know, I'm mad that I lost. I thought I had some still, but when I went through all my stuff, I was like, oh, damn, I think I did get rid of all of them. But yeah, I still have some CDs. I still have majority of my CD collection, but I'm, I'm starting to get back into that. But yeah, man, purchase, get into that. You know, nothing's never old. You know, rediscover something new, you know, so either from the 80s or 70s, whether or not, you know, records that came out that didn't really make it the top 10 or top 20. Like, just rediscover something. You never know what what might catch your attention. You know, go to the music store. You know, it's always some bargain, bargaining chips you can get at the record. You get some great records for great prices. You know, do that and share the music with your kids and learn something from your kids. We all can learn from each other. You know, that's what black music is. It's, it's not musical theory. We redefine musical theory redefined it, reimagine it. Black music is and always will be the music culture, will be the pulse of America, is the pulse of America. Black music is the pulse of America. In any genre, we dominate, period. That's all I gotta say about Black Music Month. I try my best to enlighten. Hopefully you get something from it. If you didn't, I respect it anyway. If you disagree with anything I say, that's cool too. But thank you for tuning to another episode of Soul Savings Podcast. I was wanting to do this with more people. I had, like I said, I had it all planned out, but you know, health, you know, gotta put your health first, pe- health first people. And that's what I was trying to keep in mind. You know, I got my voice back 100%. Last week was at maybe 70%. I wasn't all the way there yet, but I've taken all the prescription, listened to the doctor, and now my voice is back 100%. You know, had to get that because I had road gigs. Still got road gigs coming up, spot day gigs coming up. So that's the most important thing, y'all, so I can keep giving y'all these episodes. I got to keep my ass on the road, (laughs) y'all. I plan to be more consistent, even if I don't have guests on. So if you tune into the podcast, stay with me, y'all. I got some great things in the works. I got some things that I'm trying to get done and produce to the masses. And hopefully y'all F with it, you know. But yeah, uh, just just if you listen to this and the sounds of my voice, I promise I'm going to be consistent with this podcast. You know, I always had an image in my head of how I wanted it to be. But now I realize I got the... Certain words, people don't even, that's the thing. When people motivate me, it ain't even gotta be something them lecturing me. It's just, 
they may say something on the fly, like just do it yourself. And it's like, all right, I'm gonna do that. You know, I got my little small team with me. We're gonna keep pushing in. We're gonna keep this train moving like we always do. But yeah, thank you for tuning in to Soul Savage Podcast. Try to celebrate Black Music Month. This is the last week of Black Music Month. And I tried my best to try to encapsulate everything in black music, the different entertainers, and talk about certain topics that are happening in, in, in pop culture topics, popular topics that are happening on the internet and try to find some way to weave it in. And also, can't forget about Pride Month. I tried to talk about Pride Month last week. You check that episode out. But yeah, much love to Pride Month. Also, the last week of Pride Month as well. Shout out to the LGBT, all the black LGBT artists and all the individuals that propel it and keep it alive and also to the individuality of Pride Month. Shout out to those as well. All the love and respect. You don't have no love and respect for the LGBT community. I don't know what to tell you. Ain't no forceful thing. It ain't no somebody trying to tell you how to live your life. It's just simply respecting individuals and that's what I do. If you don't respect individuals then you really don't gotta listen to this podcast because I support hundred percent the LGBT community and if you don't oh well I don't give a hot damn about it. <laughs> but yeah much love to Pride Month. We're gonna celebrate Pride Month and Black Music Month. I know I do those are interchangeable with me. You watched uh listen to last week's episode I broke down some of the the the, the celebrate a little bit of the, the black uh, gay artists like Sylvester I talked about and really talk about those that, that find the liberation within themselves, you know, show through in the music. So once again, much love, rest on to Sylvester, Little Richard, you know, so many, you know, I don't think some of them define themselves by certain attributes, but they were representations of that, whether if it was, uh, androgynous driven uh, aesthetically looking like the the what Prince did and not saying those artists are part of that community but just the aesthetic look of it helped uh, redefine you know what gender bend, bending you know what it looked like in the 80s that, that was a good part portion of uh, black artists as well like the deal you know Jerry curls and the makeup a lot of those artists 80s artists were wearing makeup and stuff like that so that that helped cultivate and create normalcy within that because i hear a lot of lgbt people are part of lgbt said that those images helped them redefine themselves during those critical times whether they were teenagers or becoming adults during that time period that helped define them as well like the george michaels but we talk about black music but all that stuff helped define them as individuals so definitely got to give the respect in that regard to those artists as well in terms of the imagery of, of uh, the freedom of expression from those black artists like Grace Jones. Definitely gotta mention that, you know, can't, you know, that they just, you know, were forced fashion wise and, and what was looked at as cool doing it. So we gotta give that respect. Like I said, Black Music Month is my favorite time of the year. And so I couldn't do a podcast episode without talking about Black Music Month. Hopefully you appreciate this part one and part two. I'm signing off, y'all. I'm tired of talking. (laughs) Soul Savage Podcast. I'm out.